I'm Brad Whitaker, and this is the Sideline Dissonant. A lot to get to today. I'll give you my Week 13 NFL Power Rankings, but first, gotta get to this Eli Manning story. Uh, he was benched yesterday officially by the New York Giants, and it's pretty clear at this point that the New York Giants are tanking, tanking although they will never actually admit that. Um, you know, they're a lot like the San Francisco 49ers, where the Niners wanted to keep Jimmy Garoppolo out the whole season because they wanted to tank and let that beat hard guy or Bethard or whatever his name is stay out there, but he got hurt, so that screwed up their ability to tank, but, you know, the Giants got off to a terrible start, obviously, and, you know, there's no way back. They're out of playoff contention now, so they bench Eli Manning, and they're looking to move on to another franchise quarterback, and, you know, you you can't really blame the Giants for doing it. I just think it's the way they've handled this situation has been terrible. I mean, New York Giants, at least in terms of optics, they really bungled this. Uh, when they started the season 0-5 and, and Odell Beckham got hurt, it was clear that the New York Giants weren't going to do anything this season. That's when they should have traded Eli Manning before the trade deadline. They could have immediately gone into rebuild mode, maybe traded a few of their other more expensive pieces, clear up some cap space. But that's not what they did, and because of it, now head coach Ben McAdoo is the most hated man in New York, and it's highly unlikely that he'll keep his job at the end of the year. And uh, I, apparently, according to reports, he wanted to split time 50-50 between Eli Manning, have Eli play in the first half, and in the second half, have Geno Smith, and we all know how much they love Geno Smith in New York, and not surprisingly, Eli Manning, when he heard that, he said, hell no, and you know, he's he's having a tough time with his benching, there, there was a clip that came out yesterday, and he was getting a little bit teary-eyed, and you know, many reports have come out over the last few weeks that McAdoo and the, the, the quarterback coach, uh, Frank Signetti, uh, they've been chirping about Eli's lack of arm strength, his lack of mobility, his decision-making, and, and I think those are legitimate criticisms, but you know, apparently McAdoo thinks he can save his job and somehow win five games in a row uh, and get seven total wins in the season with Geno Smith. Obviously, that's not going to happen. The New York Giants will be lucky if they win one or two more games. Uh, and, and in all likelihood, Ben McAdoo will be out. And look, I'm all for making the best decision for a football team. And this, I think, is the best decision for the Giants. Uh, I just think they should have moved on from Eli Manning a while ago once they stopped prioritizing spending money on a good offensive line. Eli Manning, I think, is a competent quarterback. I really do. He just needs a good offensive line. He's not Russell Wilson. You can't just not spend any money on an O-line ever, and he can just spin out of it and and get out of the pocket and escape even you know Russell Wilson you can get away with that in the Seahawks you can't get away with that with a quarterback like Eli Manning he must have a good offensive line and because of it the Giants are in an awful situation right now because they made the right decision at the wrong time and now they're dealing with nightmare optics by disrespecting their former franchise quarterback when the season was already a lost cause three four five weeks ago now Manning is under contract through the uh, through the 2019 season, so in all likelihood, the Giants will not trade him. They'll just cut him after June 1st, and he'll be an unrestricted free agent. Now, 
Eli Manning may have to retire. It's possible that nobody is willing to fork over the kind of money he'll be asking for. It'll be a similar situation to Tony Romo, but I do expect Eli to sign somewhere else because he's managed to stay healthy while constantly running for his life, unlike Tony Romo, who had one of the greatest O-lines in the history of professional football and still found a way to break his bones. So, with that in mind, the idea that Eli is, is going to re-sign this offseason, I think the obvious team is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, we all expect Blake Bortles to get cut after the season, and, you know, the Jaguars have made Blake Bortles look like a superstar at different times this season, even though we all know he's not. Uh, you know, the Jaguars have really done a good job running that offense, mainly through Leonard Fournette. He's helped a lot. You know, I... I think it's probably safe to say at this point, or at least by next year, Leonard Fournette will be a top-tier running back up there with Le'Veon Bell, uh, uh, Todd Gurley, and Ezekiel Elliott. And look, I'm not a big guy on spending money for elite running backs, but once you get into that top-tier, Bell, Gurley, Zeke, maybe Leonard Fournette, you can rely on those guys week to week, and and those are the type of running backs that's worth forking money over. Uh and they also have Fournette on a rookie contract, so that certainly helps. Uh, so I think if you added Eli Manning to that mix, it would give the Jaguars a much more balanced attack, which might be enough to make them an AFC contender when considering how good their defense is. I don't think they're quite an AFC contender this year, but I think they are a good or a good enough quarterback away, which I think Eli Manning is. You know, Tom Coughlin's done a hell of a job since he got to Jacksonville. I mean, they already had a solid defense that... There were talented pieces there, but he basically revamped revamped that secondary overnight. And, you know, Eli Manning would be in a similar situation in Jacksonville to his two Super Bowl seasons in terms of personnel in Jacksonville. Also, since Manning and Coughlin were both basically exiled from New York, uh, you know, they both have a great relationship. Tom Coughlin said Eli was like a son to him when he resigned, more or less got fired from the Giants. Um, both have an incentive to stick it to Giants president John Mara. You remember Tom Coughlin after his resignation, and he gave his little press conference and, and gave Mara the cold shoulder. You know, both of those guys are going to want to pair up in Jacksonville. You know, unless Aaron Rodgers holds out at the end of the year or something and wants to go to Jacksonville, it seems like this is an obvious fit. You know, the Jags already have a pretty good offensive line, so that'll work out well for Eli. They're a good offensive line as long as they stay healthy. Bortles struggled a bit last week without, uh, who is it, their left guard, Jeremy Parnell, and, and, uh, uh, what's his name? He's the right tackle. He has the funny name, Patrick Omame or something like that. Both of those guys were hurt last last week, and and uh, Jaguars still somehow managed to put up 24 points with Blake Bortles. So you know, as long as that O line is healthy, I think Eli Manning could do a lot. Uh, back there uh, under center. Uh, but there are some other potential teams that are out there. I think, you know, it goes the Jaguars first and then everybody else for Eli Manning. It just seems like the Jaguars are the obvious fit. But other teams that could look into him, uh, the Arizona Cardinals, uh, Carson Palmer may retire at the end of the season, which means Blaine Gabbert would be their number one quarterback. Uh, so they'll be looking to find a number one. Eli might be a good fit there. 
there is obviously the relationship with Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos. Uh, they don't seem to like any of their three quarterbacks. You know, maybe they're still developing Paxton Lynch, but obviously Brock Osweiler isn't the guy, and Trevor Simeon only seems to be the guy when the weather's warm in Denver. So uh, he may not be your franchise quarterback. So maybe the Broncos, other teams, the Buffalo Bills, they clearly want to move on from Tyrod Taylor. I don't know why I like Tyrod Taylor, uh, but they benched him for Peterman, and you saw how well that worked out, but Bills want to move on for him, so maybe they'll look into Eli, and then there's the Miami Dolphins. They may not want to stick with Tannehill, especially after this ACL injury. Also, Adam Gase coached Peyton Manning in Denver, so that relationship is there. And finally, I think this is highly unlikely, but maybe the Minnesota Vikings will look into Eli Manning uh, if they can't come to terms with Bradford, Bridgewater, or Case Keenum. They're going to have one hell of an offseason picking between those three guys, uh, the Vikings are. And if it doesn't work out, then maybe... Eli Manning will be the guy, but again, Jacksonville seems like the obvious choice. Great defense, good offensive line as long as they're healthy. Great running game with Leonard Fournette. He's been an excellent fit in that offense, and obviously the Tom Coughlin relationship would be big for Eli Manning. So he'd get the O-line he wants, and he'd get a great defense to back him up like he did in those two Super Bowl years with the New York Giants. But moving on to the top tier of the NFL right now, in the sideline seven, uh, my, uh, number seven ranked team is the Los Angeles Chargers. Look, I thought it was crazy last week. I put the Chargers at number seven at, with a record of four and six, but I think right now the LA Chargers are one of the best seven teams in the league. I think they showed it last week. They started the season 0-4, didn't work out very well, but since that awful start, this is amazing, the Chargers, they've committed just five turnovers after that 0-4 start, which is the lowest in the league since then, and they forced a league-best 17 turnovers. So if you take the whole season, that turnover differential is the second best in the league, which is pretty remarkable once you consider the Chargers started the season 0-4. They now have the second best turnover differential, and since week five of the season, they have clearly the best turnover differential. I know they're five and six, but I do believe the Chargers are the seventh best team in the NFL right now, and they will ultimately win the AFC West. On to number six, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, People thought it was crazy that they traded Adrian Peterson. He was a terrible fit early in the season, but clearly that was the right decision because it paved the way for Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara to be the best running back duo in the league. In fact, New Orleans now leads the league in both rushing and receiving yards at the running back position. Now, their defense, they've had a bit of a rough two weeks. Uh, they lost to the, the Rams, gave up 26 points, and they beat the Redskins the week before, but they gave up 31 points then. Uh, look, we know New Orleans Saints, they can force turnovers. They have some pretty strong defensive backs, pretty athletic defensive backs. Uh, but the real question is, can they hold the point totals down against good teams? Now, they've they've held teams like Buffalo, Tampa Bay, Chicago, and Miami to under 13 points. Um, they held Carolina to 13 points uh, earlier in the season. We'll see if they can do that. They have a big matchup at home next week in Week 13 against the Carolina Panthers. Um, and you know, if I had to, if I did more than top seven, I would have the Carolina Panthers at number eight. So. 
between the Panthers and the Saints, the winner of that game will likely be in my sideline seven next week. But right now I have the Saints there. Some big questions with that defense against good teams, but we know they can force turnovers and they can beat up pretty well on bad teams. On number five, I have the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, The Steelers were at number three last week. I dropped them two spots because simply because of a lack of focus, which isn't very shocking for the Steelers. Uh, They spent... They spent all, or Mike Tomlin, their head coach, spent week 12 talking about their week 15 matchup against the New England Patriots and their AFC title game matchup against the New England Patriots. Thinking a little bit too far ahead before week 12, they're thinking about a game a month away. Uh, Look, we all know the Steelers are good, but they just have trouble focusing, which is why they got off to a rough start against a Green Bay Packers team that they just should have blown out. They were down 14-6, and instead it took an incredible catch from Antonio Brown in the final minutes to win the game. Uh, But look, we all know the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have a great young pass rush. Big Ben's been great in the no huddle, and Le'Veon Bell on huddle plays has been incredible this season, arguably one of Bell's best season, and then you know the receiving core at Pittsburgh has the Steelers are going to be fine they always play up to their competition uh, but because of it they tend to lose to bad teams very often uh, so that's the reason I dropped them down to number four is is, is just simply because of focus uh, or number five number four is the LA Rams uh, they they had a rough game a couple weeks ago against the Minnesota Vikings on the road but as I predicted they bounce back fine at home. You know, Jared Goff has everything to work with. You know, Todd Gurley, a top five offensive line, great wide receivers. Uh, Cooper Cup really stepped up against New Orleans. So did Sandy Watkins. Both of those guys played well uh, without LA's number one receiver, Robert Woods. Uh, so I have the Rams up to number four this week. Uh, but that means I at number three, the team that beat them a few weeks ago, I have the Minnesota Vikings, and this is really the Cinderella team of this season. You know, once Sam Bradford goes down and you have Teddy Bridgewater on the IR, nobody expected the Vikings to play as well as they have, and Case Keenum's really stepped up. He's earned that starting job, even with Bridgewater now healthy, and it's going to take a lot for Bridgewater to win that job back, at least this season. I don't see Bridgewater out there this season, unless Case Keenum really starts to struggle, but Minnesota's offense, they've scored 30-plus points in three of their last four games, and the odd one out, they scored 24 against the Rams in a blowout, and, you know, that defense has continued to dominate, especially at home. Now, Everyone talks about the Vikings' pass rush and just their secondary as a whole, but they haven't been quite as good on the road. So these next two weeks are going to be huge. The Vikings have two straight tough road games. Uh, week 13 is against Atlanta in Atlanta, and then Week 14 will be on the road against Carolina. So those two games will likely determine if they are a legitimate top three team or not. Uh, so be sure to watch out for the Minnesota Vikings in the next couple of weeks. If their defense plays well on the road, I think they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. On number two, I keep wanting to move them up to number one, but I can't do it quite yet because of the way the Eagles are playing. Uh, The New England Patriots, uh, they're number two again. Uh, Look, the Patriots' offense uh, has allowed just seven, has given up just seven turnovers this season. That's the fewest in the league. Uh, 
Brady and Cooks, that vertical connection is just incredible. Um, it's better than anyone could have anticipated. And we all thought Brandon Cooks would be great going in. He's been even better than most expected. And here's the key. Here's the key stat. You know, the Patriots' defense struggled. Everyone wrote them off because of how poorly they did the first season against Kansas City, how they performed against the Texans and the Panthers. They had rough games. But they've now held opponents to under 20 points for seven straight games now. So after starting out as the, clearly the league's worst defense, it's possible that by the end of the regular season, the New England Patriots are going to have a top five defense in the NFL, which is pretty incredible considering where they were to start the season. And finally, number one, the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I got this stat from ESPN. The Eagles have thrown the most touchdown passes in the league. Uh, They've rushed for the most yards after contact, which is a huge statistic. Uh, They've allowed the fewest rushing yards in the league and the second fewest yards per passing attempt. It's really impossible to find any weaknesses on the Eagles, so they're a well-deserved number one in my power rankings, especially after winning 31-3 over the Bears. Uh, We'll see if they really are the best team in the league, so just like the Minnesota Vikings, their next two games are road games, very tough ones on the road. Uh, This week, they go into Seattle. Be interesting to see if the Eagles can win up there. And then uh, next week, they go on the road to face the L.A. Rams. So two very difficult matchups. Uh, we'll see how this NFC shapes out. Uh, let me let me put up the sideline seven again. Uh, got the Chargers at seven, Saints at six, Steelers at five, Rams at four, Vikings at three, Patriots at two, Eagles at one. Uh, but... Those four NFC teams on the list, the Saints, the Rams, the Vikings, and Eagles, all have very interesting matchups in the next two weeks. So there could be a real shakeup in this top seven. Expect the Chargers to keep moving up. The Steelers will be fine. I'm a, I put them at number five because they underperformed against Green Bay. And we all know the Patriots will ultimately be fine as well. Uh, so that's it for this episode of the Sideline Distant. I'm going down to San Diego for a wedding this weekend, so I won't be back until Tuesday. Until then, I'd bid you adieu.